Hi everyone, welcome to Season 2 of the Asian Hustle Network Podcast, where we interview Asian entrepreneurs and professionals around the world. And for this season, we're going to take our conversations deeper about our Asian identity and hustle stories. We also want to announce that we are hosting our first ever Asian Hustle Network Uplifted Conference next spring in Las Vegas. For more info and to reserve your seats, check out our website at asianhustlenetwork.com. Don't forget to grab a copy of our recently released book, Uplifted, Journeys of Abundance, Community, and Identity, which tells the personal stories of how 21 Asian American entrepreneurs are shifting culture. You can order it on our website as well. Hey guys, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Maggie. And we interview Asian entrepreneurs around the world to amplify their voices and empower Asians to pursue their dreams and goals. We believe that each person has a message and a unique story from their entrepreneurial journey that they can share with all of us. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. Today, we have a very special guest with us. His name is Roger Gu. Roger was one of the co-founders of the original Embers, a card technology startup that was acquired in mid-2019. He now leads card product strategy across the organization. Roger has fintech experience through his prior roles of leading merchant acceptance of Bitcoin at Coinbase and corporate strategy at Visa. Roger holds degrees in economics and finance from Princeton University. He and his wife have a life goal to visit all 60 of the U.S. national parks. Roger, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. And I think it's like 61 or 62 that the list has been updated a little bit in terms of national parks, but it's still a goal of ours. Wow. I mean, just hop on that topic real quick. How far along are you on that goal? Uh... About halfway. So this past year, uh, my wife and I have the luxury of, of being remote for since we're both in tech. So we spent the last year Airbnb across most of the Western United States. So we knocked out uh, a lot in that regard, especially going to Arizona and Utah. I like that. That's a very, that's a very awesome goal. Like it's something that something that I personally want to do one day. Uh, but unfortunately I'm not very outdoorsy at all. <laughs> But yeah, let's, let's hop into our first question. So Roger, uh, tell us more about yourself and your upbringing. Where'd you grow up and what was that like for you? So I grew up in New Jersey, Northern New Jersey. Uh, my parents had a Chinese restaurant in a small little town called Lake Hiawatha, New Jersey. And, um, so, you know, spent pretty much as I, I did, I did elementary to high school there wanted to get as far away as, as I could. So I applied to a couple schools in California for college, um, got into Berkeley, was super pumped about that, uh, wound up going to Princeton. So once I, I didn't expect it, it was such a, a long shot for me about my parents, uh, there's a lot of pressure, so I applied anyways. Um, somehow got in, was super thrilled uh, by that. And th their financial package was just so good. I, there's no way I could have passed that up, even if I wanted to live the, the the hippie lifestyle out out west um so wound up uh in college in new jersey as well uh, now currently in in california um so once i could eventually move out west so that was definitely one of my my early on dreams um so i've been working uh professionally for about about 10 years uh largely focused in fintech certainly not something that i had you know 
aimed for, uh, even in, even after graduation in college, I did the very standard track. I was an investment banker, um, did that for two years. It was really tough time because I graduated college in 2009. So there wasn't that much M and a activity back then. Um, switched over to consulting, tried that for a little bit. That was for visa, which you know, Maggie, thank you for bringing up uh, a little bit earlier on the corporate strategy side. Um, from visa went to Coinbase, Coinbase afterwards, uh, started, uh, in verse and been here for about the past five years. Wow. That's, that's quite the journey, man. And I think one thing you really point out to me, it's like in 2009, I, I agree. I graduated in 2010. It's so hard to find a job during that time period. And it's very depressing because you're like, man, like, where's my life going? Everything I've, I've been trying, it's, it's not working out. You know, I, I realized that from that time period, there's a lot of entrepreneurs during that time period because we're just like, you know what? We got to focus on ourselves, focus, focus on our business. So I can totally relate. Oh to yeah, totally. I, I, ha- I had my offer rescinded by one of the top, top three investment banks. Um, oh my God. And what I remember the most tragic was I was like delaying signing the, the signing bonus. Cause it was like a $12,000 signing bonus. And had I just signed and then they rescinded, I would have at least gotten $12,000, but I was waiting like a couple of like, you know, waiting for a couple options, trying to play it, you know? <laughs> so, uh, fortunately that, that didn't work out, but that was really, that was really a tough time. And, but I, I am glad in, in that regard, uh, that it definitely worked out well for me. Um, uh, had I done that, I would have, I think I would have wound up, the offer was for Hong Kong. So I would have done um, rates trading, structured rates trading in Hong Kong. And th- my then girlfriend, my now wife, you know, probably with that relationship probably wouldn't have gone as well doing long distance between Hong Kong and New Jersey. So uh, all worked out for the best. Yeah. Look at that chain effect, you know, like at that time, it probably must've felt terrible that that happened, right? But hindsight 2020, you look back and like, wow, I'm kind of glad that did happen. And that's the case for, for a lot of people too. I want to take a bigger step backwards too. Like, you know, have you ever thought you'd be like an entrepreneur at this point in your life? Like, has that seed ever occurred any point of your life where it's like you were taught that while you're at Princeton or your parents wanted you to be entrepreneurs, you know, like how did that seed sort of like fell into your lap and sort of, and sort of made you think like, Hey, why not me? Like, why can I be an entrepreneur? Yeah, I was going to ask that too, because, you know, with your fintech experience, I personally resonate with that as well, because my parents had always wanted me to do something in the finance industry, you know, something very stable. So I want to know, like, where you got the entrepreneurial spirit from. So in when I was growing up, I, I had my parents gave me three options for careers. Uh, one was lawyer, two was doctor, three was in finance. Uh, so I had a lot of options between those three, right? So uh, not really that much in terms of influence from my parents per se, although they, they did pass on a little bit of entrepreneurial spirit to me because the fact that uh, they immigrated to America with very little. Um, and then they started a Chinese restaurant in this you know small little town in New Jersey and just kind of grinded away working. They worked 364 and a half days a year. So the only day off that they had was uh, the dinner for Thanksgiving. They, they took off everything, every other day uh, they worked. So I, I always had that, that drive, but like, I wanted to do it better. Right. Like I, I, I saw how hard they worked. I did not want to work that hard. It's like, okay, let me get ahead right now. Let me, let me put in, um, let me in the, put in the, the work now into my studies uh, so that I wouldn't have to work um, the way that my parents did. Right. Like they sacrificed essentially for the great, the, the benefit 
uh, that I could you know, really uh, take advantage of. So I wasn't about to throw that away. Um, I was on a very stable career path, right? So it was investment banking uh, for two years. I did consulting visa for two years. Um, I think what essentially kind of, it wasn't like, oh my God, I want to start a new business. I would have this like drive to start a new business. It, it was more like, I, I want my work to be meaningful. Um, during that time, I, I remember distinctly, and I, I, I saw this now, it sounds kind of silly saying it, but there was like a, it was like a life calculator and it showed it to the seconds, right? So it was like a little countdown, but it showed it by to, to the, to the seconds digit. And so, you know, a, a little bit of that was just like impetus, like, you know, what am I doing? What am I, what am I, what am I spending my time on? And I created a lot of decks right, through investment banking. And then, and then as a strategy consultant at Visa, like my, my deck making capabilities are, are fire. Right. My, my Excel skills, they, they certainly have deteriorated. Um, but, you know, back then I, I could make a model like no one else. So, you know, I, I did, I, I created all these models. I created all these like just really good decks, but did it really accomplish anything? Like right? did, did, you know, was I leading any projects? Was I having meaningful impact uh, towards you know, the team's goals and, you know, more broadly towards the company's goals. I didn't feel that. So it was that drive that really made me try to start exploring something new. Um, it wasn't, you know, initially the goal of, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to create my own company. Um, it, it wasn't that at all. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's extremely relatable to a lot of us. And I, I appreciate you breaking it down to like seconds in the time. Cause that just shows like your sense of, sense of urgency that you had. You're just at one point you stop and reevaluate your life and you're like, wait a minute, like, what am I doing? I'm just making all these decks, but I want to have more impact. I think that's, that's like the, the origin story for most entrepreneurs you have on the podcast is almost, almost like, wait a minute, what am I doing in my life? <laughs> you know, just take a step back and, and reevaluate everything, create that sense of urgency to create more. So let's quickly talk more about your time at Coinbase. I know like that was like probably the, the, the job before, your, before you started your company, right? What was right. the turning point of like joining Coinbase and being a director of partnerships there and then now becoming your own CEO of your own company? Like what was the transition process like? I mean, it couldn't, it couldn't have been easy. Like Coinbase is one of the hottest startups out there, right? And to leave that, start your own startup because you were so convicted with this idea. What was the process like for you? And on top of that, you you left Coinbase in October 2015 and started Embers in October 2015. So I love to hear about just that fast transition and jump. So uh, Coinbase was one of the most fun times I've had, right? Because I joined in the in the teens and I left when we were about 80, 90 headcount or so. And then growing that quickly as part along with the 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 crypto crowd really gaining um, popularity that, that was just a lot, a lot of fun, right? It, it was ex one of the most challenging things I've ever done, but certainly the community that, uh, the crypto community, the Coinbase community, um, they're saying that like a lot of, a lot of similar to like kind of the, the PayPal mafia, a lot of the early Coinbase folks have started their own startups, unfortunately not as pop, not as successful as the early uh, PayPal guys. Um, but certainly that was a, it was probably one of the most educational experiences for me as well. Certainly much more so than my time at, at Visa, um, even compared to like, you know, college and, invest, and investment banking days. It, it was a new challenge every single day. 
and it was such a small team. And one of the the goals that we had was like, um, all right, how, how do we broaden the adoption of cryptocurrencies? And, you know, we were talking about P2P transfers, uh, peer to peer, but we were also talking about, um, you know, just doing standard merchant payments. And right before I joined was the first merchant that, you know, well-known merchant that accepted Bitcoin. It was uh, overstock.com. They had huge uh, like publicity from accepting Bitcoin. And I joined a month after that news essentially. And, you know, we were saying, you know, we had a lot of demand from our users to say like, Hey, I want to be able to buy more things with crypto, not just overstock.com, which caters towards a fairly different audience than the crypto community. And so we reached out to a whole bunch of, of, uh, merchants and, um, you know, got a lot of small brands, but also got some sizable deals. So I led the Bitcoin integration, uh, for Dell.com. Uh, so I flew out to, to Round Rock, had a great time with, with the guys there. That was a uh, four-month project. Uh, we did Dish Network, uh, Wikipedia, Stripe, Braintree. So it, it was pretty heavy adoption from the merchant side, like just in a very short amount of time. Uh, the issue was like we weren't seeing continued um, user uh, usage of, of Bitcoin. So they would you know, maybe... Upon the first news, they, they'll, they'll try it out. Uh, they'll buy a couple items, but we weren't seeing the continued usage uh, of crypto to procure goods. Um, so that was, you know, certainly a very interesting challenge, and I, I learned a tremendous amount about uh, crypto, not only just crypto but banking in general. And that's kind of what led me to to uh, eventually, uh, you know, co-found in burst with with my co-founder Peter Lai. Uh, I had worked on the last project before I left was the Bitcoin debit card, which, you know, you swipe $10, it would immediately draw from your Coinbase wallet, convert $10 worth of Bitcoin into USD and then pay off the merchant. And so a lot of that, uh, you know, similar concepts, similar controls, similar capabilities there um, as what eventually became in burst, which was uh, card expenses. Yeah. Awesome. Let's talk more about Inverse. You know, it's a, I think it's a really, really cool company, cool technology. You guys, you guys are leveraging, you know, artificial intelligence as well. Like tell us, tell our listeners more about Inverse. Like what is it? What what product, what product is it? And what problem does it solve? Simply put, it's, it's the, we want to, we really want the ability for companies to be able to spend on whatever they need and not worry about reconciliation, right? It's, extremely manual. It's time consuming. Um, you'd be surprised about the number of companies, even till this day that are using, you know, Excel to track their expenses or, you know, more antiquated, you know, software, you know, we want them to bring them to the modern age of expenses where folks can ask for funds. They can get a card, spend it, and then just kind of forget about it. Right. We want to make it as seamless as possible. Um, these days, especially when, a lot of folks are remote, you know, myself included. I have to buy my own supplies. I have to, you know, have a lot of software subscriptions on myself. I have, you know, occasionally have some, still have a little bit of travel and entertainment expenses, although not as much these days. Um, I don't want to worry about having paper receipts and having to keep track of what the budget was for my team or how much I'm spending on XYZ vendor. I want all that to be automated. 
So that's essentially what we're trying to do. Um, we want to make it super easy for clients across the world to be able to um, spend and buy whatever they need and, and not have to think about the rest. So my company was acquired in 2019. So we were originally just a card expense company. Um, so we can create the card that has these technologies that uh, limit you to what, what employees can spend on. So, you know, it, I, I found it fascinating that the typical expense model, you give someone a corporate card and, you know, Brian, I'll give you a corporate card and it's, here's an Amex. Oh, it has like a $20,000 limit, but you're only supposed to use up to like 3000 at max. Um, you're only really supposed to use it for travel expenses. And you're not really supposed to use it for any other time period, except when you're actually on the road. Well, then why do you have a $20,000 credit card, right? Like that doesn't, doesn't make any sense. Right. And you know, the employer as the employer, I wouldn't know what you actually spent on until you submitted your expenses. And that could be two weeks after your trip or, you know, more common could be like two months after your trip, you would actually submit your expenses. So I, as a controller, I have no idea how much has been actually spent. I have no idea what you spent on. I don't know what the budget of the team is. So we thought it made more, much more sense for um, the employer to give you a card or you to request a card specific for the trip. And, and other times, you know, you have a useless piece of plastic that doesn't have, you know, $20,000. Maybe it has like a hundred dollar limit for when you need it. Right. And it has limitations on the card itself to say like, Hey, I can only use this for United Marriott, Airbnb, Uber, Lyft. I can't use this at Best Buy. I can't use this on Amazon. Whereas before it's all manual, right? It's everything is just like someone kind of just looking over your expenses, looking over your receipts, seeing if items match, you know, that that's really time consuming. And given our current technologies, that's completely un un unnecessary. Oh, I love that. It's, um, it makes so much sense because like Brian and I, we used to work in corporate and I know Brian used to go on a lot of trips, business trips. And when I went on business trips as well, it was so frustrating to see like, okay, what can I spend this money on? Right. And like, how much money did I have? But at the same time, it's like, you can charge it on anything, right? You didn't really have a limit, but they told you like, you can only use it during this time frame, and you can only use X, X amount of dollars. And it was just so like tedious to like, look through it. And then you, they tell you to submit your report like a week after you come back maximum. But then right. a lot of people don't submit it until like two months later. Right. And that actually prolongs, you know, the process of reimbursement. You have to go through like concur or expensify. It was just so many steps. It was so complicated. So I love what you're doing. Um, I did read that you went through this whole process while building the platform that you spoke with like dozens of CFOs about how they decide between like personal cards or corporate cards. I want to know what type of research you came to a conclusion with for that you know, survey um, and what you learned out of that experience. Yeah, let's talk about the product market fit. I think that's, that's more, that's very important, especially as an early stage founder, right? Just trying to figure out like, you know, I'm pretty sure you got like a lot of advice from like a lot of people that you talk to, like, how do you determine which one sort of fit into your vision and which one should be the next logical step for you guys to build? Because, you know, as, at the very beginning, there's not a lot of resources that you have. So how do you determine that process? So we definitely did a lot of interviews, but I, I certainly had, I had my own convictions as well um, from my own prior experience. Um, so Maggie, to your point from being in the corporate world, like one thing that used to really annoy us and that I used to take advantage of as an investment banker was uh, one of the perks was if you stay past, I think it was like 630, 
you get to expense dinner and then you get to charge it to the client, right? So what would, what would we do as analysts? Of course, like every single day, we would wait until 6.35 and go buy dinner, and, you know, send that off and then, you know, work a little bit, 30 minutes, an hour, whatever it is, and then go home, right? You kind of take advantage of that system. Um, and then someone would manually check my receipts and make sure that like, oh, okay, well, this was 6.35, it's after 6.30, this is kosher. Oh, this was 6.29? No, that's not kosher. <laughs> So, so like it, 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 like we, I had my own conviction. So it wasn't, I don't think like, you know, in terms of starting a company, like you, you have to have your own conviction. You need to have an initial hypothesis of like, and have your own experiences within the product or whatever it is, is that you're trying to sell, uh, that really can serve as an initial template, an initial testing ground. Um, so I, I had that, those couple of experiences I had, you know, my experiences from working at Visa as well as working at a smaller startup, um, you know, Coinbase to really, uh, frame the, and you know, kind of help frame the initial sales tactic, Peter, my co-founder, Peter Lai, you know, one of the, you know, the best engineers I've ever met, you know, he, he had a lot of product conviction and I had a lot of sales conviction and, and the two of us, funny enough story we hadn't actually met that long before we actually decided to work together as co-founders. We actually met because of an Uber pool. Um, so it, it, like it, it, it we just kind of hit, hit it off. And, and from there, like when we started chatting about product market fit, we're talking about some of the, some of our own prior experiences. So he had a lot of experiences of, um, uh, thinking of expenses and thinking of, uh, thinking of reconciliation, similar to how you do at box where you create these folders and you tag them and everything's kind of readily available in, in real time. Um, thinking of everything on the cloud. So, you know, we, together, we, we really jived and formed that initial, um, product market thesis. And then we tested it with dozens of our early employees. You know, we benefited from being part of Y Combinator, um, out in Silicon Valley. Um, but we just, also just begged our friends and family, Hey, can you please use this product? Right. Of course I hit up Coinbase. I hit up Brian. And I was like, Hey, like, I know I just left, but like, I got this new thing, you know, can you, can you please give it a try? And he, he was really gracious enough to actually, yeah, give us a try for, for a long time actually. Um, so it was a lot of scrap together, but you know, to your point, Brian, of like having product market vision and, and, and knowing what we were doing, Oh, we had that, like we had a little bit, we had some inclination. I think you need a little bit of, of, uh, a, a hypothesis, but like beyond that, it, it's, it's a little bit of, of, of a guessing game, um, until you hit it off. Right. And those, those months were, were, or even years were, were quite a struggle. Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a really good point. I think when you're first building a company, it's all about your own personal conviction, right? Because you're building something that no one else can see except for you. And you have to fully believe that this is your vision or hypothesis that you're turning in the right direction. And as you keep moving, it's, I don't want to get all spiritual here, but like the universe sort of just helps you along the way, like meeting the right people, hearing the right advice, just seeking out the right opportunity because you want that vision to happen so badly. You know, so I think all that sort of factors into like the founder's journey. And let's quickly talk about the founder journey as well. You know, as you mentioned, you met your your co-founder through a Uber pool. Like as we know, working with a co-founder, you're practically getting married with someone else. You practically got married with him after one date and a car ride. Like what was like, how were you guys able to work together so cohesively? And more importantly, 
how are you able to solve your differences in a way that wasn't very destructive for the vision and the idea of the company? So it's easy for you guys to say like, look, I'm done. Like I, we're not getting along. Like this idea is not going to happen. Like we're just going to walk our separate ways because we barely know each other. Right. But how do you guys continue to form your bond and set yourself so you're so focused on, on building these companies together? So one thing that contributed as simultaneously hindered um, that ability to, to kind of work together was kind of our, our stubbornness and our conviction. So both Peter and I, like we, we, we knew that this was had, had potential. And so like, we were just like really stubborn, like we're going to make, we're going to figure it out. We're going to make it work. Um, certainly there were lots of times where, where we, we clashed, you know, pretty heavily. Um, so I, I am very thankful for, for Peter in, in that, in that early stages of, of uh, being patient with me. Um, I also thank some of the, the coaching that we received. So both of us, uh, you know, we, we found an executive coach. We also had, we, both of us had strong mentors as well as uh, friends and advisors. Um, our early investors at Tejman Mar really helped us out as well. Um, so we had folks to vent and bounce ideas off of and that, that network, Without that, there's no way I think Peter would have, Peter and I would have ripped our heads off, each, each other's heads off. Um, that external network uh, was truly, truly like necessary. Like I, I am also astounded at the fact that sometimes like I meet, I meet like a super successful soul founder. It's like, how did, how did you do it? Like it, you know, there were times where I or, or Peter were just like, wow, today was a really crappy day. Like in, early, in, in the very early days, for example, like we would have fraud losses right, on our cards and they could be $10,000, $20,000, dollars at a time. You're just like, oh crap, we just lost $30,000. Know, that, that's a shit day. And we needed to take turns to, uh, to, to grieve, to mourn that loss of the $30,000. And so we... You know, we realized Peter and I, like, despite all our differences of, of opinion, our, our work ethics, uh, we needed each other. Like, there was no way that I could have done that or he could have done that essentially without having the support of each other, as well as the broader network of uh, advisors, investors, friends, um, and, and counselors that, that we had. So it, it was, you know, it's that that old adage, like, it takes a village. In this case, like, it, it took it took a lot. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm, it's such an amazing story. And I mean, like Brian and I, we both know how hard it is to work with a co-founder. I mean, there's so many aspects to it, you know, and it really is getting married uh, to the person that you work with. You really have to make sure that you're aligned on in every single way. And I love that you and Peter both found that balance and that you guys work together so well. Um, I want to know about, I want to, I want to, I, oh, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't say Maggie that we were always, we weren't aligned. I think it, it's healthy to have, conflict right like you need to have some right. kind of conflict right so i have been with my wife since 2007 yes that's right 2007 and, and you know we've had you know we're not we're not aligned on, on a lot of things right so it's 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 important to be aligned on the, the big picture but in regards to execution of that and in regards to the 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 micro prioritizations i think it's it's perfectly healthy to have uh, quite a healthy amount of, of conflict it's how, how do you deal with that conflict how do you overcome that conflict um and that's certainly something that 
I've had to work on extensively. I continue to work on today uh, by taking, you know, external learning courses, by, by reading, by, you know, listening to a lot of podcasts about how to deal with conflict and how to deal when, um, especially larger teams. And, and now that I'm part of a larger company, um, how to deal with a lot of different priorities. Right. Yeah. I definitely agree with you. I think that, you know, differences are very important because if you disagree on every single thing all the time, obviously you're not going to grow as a company, right? You're, you need different perspectives and you need different feedback in order to challenge each other. So I love that you shared that. Yeah. I I like that a lot too. I want to talk a little bit more about what our listeners want to hear more. It's like, so you have this idea, you have your co-founder, how do you how do you guys begin to scale your company and make the first few hires like they always say the first few hires of your company is the most crucial and important to building what you're trying to build like how were you guys able to hire like let's say for example your first 10 employees like what was the most important thing that you're looking for in each candidate was it their skills and ability was there a culture fit what was the most important thing that you guys were doing as you guys were scaling out at the very beginning so I think two things that really benefited us. Uh, one was both Peter and I had been in San Francisco and Silicon Valley for a couple of years prior. So both of us had a network. Uh, so we knew folks that were, you know, just, just through kind of professionally as well as our personal lives. We just knew folks that are like, Hey, they're, they're not being challenged or they're just looking for something new. So that really kind of benefited us. Right. So it'd be like, Hey, like, Hey, I know you're working on blah, 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 blah. Like, you know, come check out our office, have some coffee, just kind of hang out with us a little bit. And then just kind of slowly over time, like, Hey, why don't you try contracting with us a little bit? We'll pay you. And like, you know, just kind of ease our way in. And then suddenly next thing you know, like, Oh, they work for inverse now. So that, that was a really good strategy of, of ours. So we definitely benefited from that. Um, in regards to just kind of early hiring, one of the things that uh, we did at Inverse was something, was something that I learned from, from Coinbase, which was the concept of an extended work trial. So, um, you know, we, you can interview folks for a, a couple hours a day. Um, but what I really liked, and, and once again, we, we, I learned this from Coinbase, was, you know, have the candidate come in. Um, it could be anywhere from two days up to a week. Um, we would pay them for that time. Uh, he or she would have to take some PTO certainly from their existing job, but they would work on a project. They would work on, um, some kind of concrete task that they, you know, any intelligent person would really be able to, to finish within that a lot of time period. It allowed the, us to really get a sense of like their, you know, the candidates work capabilities and as well as like actually test their production as opposed to like, you know, just the kind of the resume and like, what could you potentially do? But you could actually see a work product. They could present off of that. And then most importantly, Brian, you asked about culture. Well, it lets us actually hang out in the office. It allows us to have a couple of meals together, have some coffee or some, or some beers together and really bond over that, um, that non-professional uh, work setting. Cause what we didn't want to do was just hire more Peters and more you know, Rogers, right? Uh, this is actually a, a, a problem of ours that we identified early, like uh, just being Asian American, both of us were Asian American males. One of our like two hires after that of, of the five were also Asian American males. We're like, crap, we don't want to only hire Asian American males. 
So, you know, we really tried to diversify and just wanted to meet new people. We didn't want to just assess people that had similar culture fit as in like, like they bonded, they jived well with us. They had similar backgrounds as us. We wanted people with different experiences that could really fit in with us, like regardless. Um, so that work trial experience is something that I, I highly encourage, right? It doesn't have to be a, a week, which is you know what we did in the early, very early days. Uh, it could be a day, it could be two days, but I think that type of screening also helps out the candidate, right? They can get a better sense of like, it's essentially day one on the job. They can get a sense of like what the team is like, what the culture quote unquote is like. Um, and also just get a sense of like, how hard do these guys work? And, the, and in interview questions, when you're hiring, like that's really hard to like be true. Like how, how do you know the other side is really being truthful about it? You have so much asymmetrical information there. I love that. I love that you brought up that you noticed that the first two hires were of Asian descent and they were male as well. And, you know, it's very, very easy to, you know, bring on hires that, you know, look like us and sound like us, because I think that's just our natural instinct. You know, we, we, we have just natural bias towards that. Right. But I love that you diversified and you, you looked outside of the box and brought on people who were different, you know, and I think that's very important to bring in different perspectives and dy dynamics and everything like that. So we want to talk about the acquisition in 2019, mid 2019. Um, I think a lot of listeners want to hear a lot about this as well. Tell us about what that process looked like, what it, what you went through throughout that whole process, and how you have seen Embers grow from prior to the acquisition to now. Before we get there, I want to ask you, what was the first thing that you were thinking? You're like, oh my god, they're going to be acquired, or like, what was the, the mindset where it was like? Oh man, we're being, we might be acquired. I'm kind of sad. Like what was your first initial thought? Yeah, it was honestly like, I think I flipped between those two thoughts. Exactly what you just said. Um, you know, a hundred different times. It's like, Oh my God, we're getting acquired. I don't have to worry like about having to potentially like just crash and burn. Um, on the other hand, it's like, you know, how do I know? Like, this acquisition is going to work well. Am I going to still be able to retain my team? Am, am I still going to be able to do um, in part my vision? And Peter was having some of the thoughts, right? Like, are we going to be able to, to still carry out what we wanted to do from the, from the early days, from the onset? Um, and we just kind of flipped back and forth between the two. Um, so the acquisition actually wasn't entirely, it wasn't initiated by us. Uh, it was, actually could do an aqua hire offer by uh well actually sorry it was due to acquisition offer by one of our partners turned out to be a little bit of an aqua hire offer but we didn't we didn't know that at the time um so you know we had worked with x partner for, for quite some time they approached us saying that like hey like you know we like working with you there's good team fit there's good product fit uh, and so that, that's kind of what, what was the impetus behind that. Um, it was good timing as well, because we had been doing these corporate card expenses, but we didn't know what really we didn't. So one of the things that with that, that were, what we were weak on was that we, we had this corporate card that you could give to your employees and they could do, uh, they can spend all that card. Right. And we would reconcile all the expenses on that card just fine. The things that we didn't do well on was like, okay, but what if someone had to use their personal card and they have to submit for reimbursement? And then how do you take all those personal card expenses and how do you then get those transactions over to QuickBooks or NetSuite or Intac, all the financial software on the back end? 
So we, we didn't do a good job, uh, with, with, uh, addressing those points yet. Right. There was like, okay, we're, if we're, if we're going to scale, we would have to address those two points quite quickly. Um, so once we got an initial acquisition offer, uh, we just started just talking a couple, uh, started having a couple conversations with investors, having a couple of conversations with advisors. And they said like, Hey, like, you know, market's pretty good right now. Uh, this was early 2019. Um, they're saying like, what's going to enable you guys to grow the, the quickest, right? What is going to be able to like, what do you guys want to focus on? Is it like the court card? Is it, do you guys want to build out and to your point, another expensify, another concur, another certify. Um, and you know, we didn't have any great ideas on like how we could vastly improve that system. Um, in fact, I had used Abacus over uh, at Coinbase and I really liked that system and I actually kept in touch with one of the founders there, uh, Ted Power. Um, and when we got the initial acquisition offer, I reached out to, to Ted and I was just like, Hey, like we're, we're thinking about this. Uh, and I wasn't reaching out to him initially to think that he, they could be a potential suitor as well. I just kind of really wanted to get his advice. Um, because we, we weren't that good with reimbursements. We weren't that good with the accounting integrations. So I really would have wanted to just get, get his advice there. Uh, and one thing led to another and, you know, he was saying like, Hey, his company, uh, was acquired by what was then called certified Chrome river, uh, which is all owned by this PE company called uh, K one investments. And they were potentially interested. And suddenly we had like two, <laughs> we had two potential suitors. So I was like, Oh, this, this isn't bad. And, you know, during that time, it, you know, Brian, to your, your point, it's like, were we really looking to sell? Were we kind of evaluating? And something that I would recommend to, you know, for folks listening, um, commit to one. You, you can't run a business fully while also trying to sell a business. Like, and, and, and you, you do a half-assed job at both and that's, that's not good, right? So if you're like in the Silicon Valley advice, you know, so if you're raising, just kind of limit it to two to three weeks and try to raise during that entire time period. Similar to, I think when you're, if you're trying to sell, uh, luckily Peter and I kind of had split responsibilities. I told Peter, Peter, you run the business. I was going to try to sell the company. Right. Um, it was a really awkward time because this was when we were all in the office. Uh, our staff, we were about 13, 12 or 13 folks. Um, and there was a lot of diligence materials and I had to hide away in a separate office, um, uh, because I had diligence calls all day. I had to talk to lawyers, I had to talk to our accountants, I had to prepare all these financial um, and legal materials, but I couldn't tell my team about it because, you know, the deal's not closed until the deal's closed. And I, it's one, I don't even want to tell the team like, hey, like we're looking at selling because, you know, what does that, what, they'll start asking, well, what does that mean for me? Um, so it was a super stressful time. Um, but the partners that we found um, ultimately uh, K1 and Certified Chrome River, which is now actually they have adopted our name for the broader org, uh, Embrace. Um, now they've actually allowed us to do what we wanted to do, which was create this card platform uh, that really helps employees take care of their expenses in a you know super automated fashion, um, and allowing us to grow um, faster than we probably could have by ourselves because you know at the time we were still 13 employees, we had. 
350-ish clients. Um, and now we have access to their, I think the last count was over 14,000 uh, companies or so across, I think it's like 100 and 110, 120 countries. And so we're able to integrate our card solutions across the five or six different platforms uh, and really you know, instead of working with companies that, you know, our largest company back then was 600 employees. Our largest company now that we're working with is, you know, close to like 80,000 employees. That's amazing. First of all, I want to say congratulations on that. I mean, having two offers is quite amazing. And having, having been through the entire process is, is congratulations. Not a lot of people in their lifetime get to experience something like that. So that's, that's a big milestone, big, and big, uh, big thing for us to celebrate. Since we have a lot of sophisticated listeners on the podcast, I'm pretty sure they're thinking, okay, you're going to an acro hire, right? So as you're going through your acro hire, what are a couple of things that you have done differently now that you know what you do know, right? I think the first thing is like knowing that you're able to still build on your vision through an acro hire is definitely number one. But from a restructuring standpoint, was there some couple of things that you can give us advice on that you learned that could be beneficial if someone who are listening right now was going through an acro hire of their own? So I, I would, I kind of ask them like, what's, what is important to them? Right. So we rejected kind of the, what turned out to be the, the, the first offer because it was kind of a pure aqua hire. Um, and how I would differentiate between aqua hire versus kind of a little bit of a smaller, uh, or right, smaller mid acquisition size, which uh, was more in line with what we were doing is like, do you get to pay back all your investors, right? Typical aqua hires, um, you have, uh, you retain all the employees and they have slightly higher, they'll have a, you know, a signing bonus or they'll have slightly, um, larger equity packages than regularly hired employees. Um, we had a lot of friends and family that contributed to our, um, you know, multiple seed rounds. And we felt that it was important to make sure that they were all paid back. So, you know, we prioritized that, like we wanted them to get something. Um, second, you know, our early employees made a lot of sacrifices uh, in terms of salary, in terms of what else that they could have been doing, um, in terms of, you know, the, their, their lives um, to work for in verse. In verse. And we wanted to make sure that they were taken care of, you know, just from the onset. Like if they wanted to leave, like we, we were going to allow them to leave. We didn't want to go and handcuff them that they were there just kind of begrudgingly. So that was important for us as well. Um, that like the eventual acquirer takes care of the team, not just, you know, they're not just acquiring us for purely the technology or they're not acquiring us purely for like myself or Peter. Um, but you know, we, we come as a package. Um, and you know, lastly, like Peter and I, worked our asses off for years as well. We want to be taken care of, of course, as well. Um, but you know, we were okay in this case with a little bit of a delayed gratification. We knew what we we're getting into. So, um, you know, in terms of, you have to consider all those factors when considering uh, when do you want to be paid out? Is it immediately, later on? Is it cash? Is it stock? Is it, um, you know, are you handcuffed? Yes or no? Like, you know, how long? Vesting schedules. So those are all factors that, uh, you really, it, it's good to have your own prioritizations kind of set out before you engage in negotiations with uh, the buyer, like know what's important. 
Thanks for sharing that, Roger. Um, you know, you talked about you and Peter working your asses off, right? And you definitely wanted to be taken care of as well, which brings us to our next question, which we really like talking about this as well in this podcast is we want to know how you manage your mental health, you know, as an entrepreneur um, going through an acquisition. I mean, there was, you know, scaling and building your, your business to such a large scale. I'm sure that, you know, there are times where you feel extremely stressed out or you feel like, you know, there's just a lot on your plate, but how do you personally deal with mental health and how do you, you know, keep yourself afloat? That's a great question. And that's something that I think I have continually evolved in kind of how I deal with, um, you know, my mental sanity, mental health. Uh, I am very fortunate to, um, have a loving wife, uh, as well as, um, a crazy, super loving dog. I, I have a German shepherd that kind of keeps me, keeps me sane, even though, even if I'm like super down, um, I have hobbies that kind of keep me in line as well as, um, I mentioned earlier, a, a great friends, uh, and advisor network that really kind of helps me there. So in terms of kind of like hobbies, I, I enjoy type two fun activities. So um, activities that are like not fun where you're doing it, but only after you achieved it. So, it, you know, whether it's, it's like doing a really, really long trail run or climbing a, a really tall mountain, um, th that type of activity literally allows me to, to focus in the, the pain of the moment. <laughs> it really helps me relieve a lot of stress. Um, I also have the benefit of being able to share these activities with, you know, like I mentioned before, my wife, my dog, and a couple of my closest friends that were able to do these things and, and really kind of provide me that level of, of stress relief. Um, I used to, when, when I was younger, like I, I did not do any athletics, like at all. I was this tall, skinny, scrawny kid, didn't do any physical activity unless it was absolutely necessary. Um, I still got my A's in gym because, you know, GPA and, and all, but like I, beyond that, like I didn't do any physical really activity. Uh, but now like, I, I think it's a combination of like working on, on my physical health as well as my mental health. They really kind of support each other. Um, so I found like it, some, some days, like I don't want to work on my mental health like at all. If I'm like super stressed, I don't want to meditate. I don't want to talk it out. I, I just don't want to do any of that. I would just go out and beat my body up on a super long run, right. Or go to the gym and, and start hitting some stuff. Like, I think that's helped me a lot to, to have a couple options to, to select from on, well, how do I, like, I need to go to sleep at the end of the day. How, how do I do so? Right. Like what is my, um, what is my venting mechanism for that day or for that issue that I'm dealing with? Yeah, that is definitely an outlet of promoting good mental health. And I love the delayed gratification mindset of your type two activities. <laughs> yeah, I mean, statistics shows that, you know, if you have delayed gratification, the more success you'd be later on in life. So that definitely you're proving something right for us right now, that theory. Appreciate yeah. that. It's been, a, it's been a struggle. So I'm in the Tahoe Reno version. Uh, Tahoe Reno uh, area these days, and I'm not able to get out as much, unfortunately, because of all the smoke here. Oh man, that's yeah, it's definitely a lot of fires up there. Please stay safe. Uh, so we have one final question for you. That question is: 
What what one advice do you have for an aspiring aspiring entrepreneur entrepreneur looking to get into their first startup? Hmm, that's a great question. Um, I really question like you know, am I the right person to to ask about that? Right, like I kind of just um, I'll I'll tell you why I got into my first startup, and and maybe you know, maybe this will help someone, maybe it wouldn't. Um, I saw that things were super inefficient and I didn't see other products within the market that could do it better. Right. And something in me was just like, this is so inefficient the way that folks were doing expenses that it, it like, it like bothered me. And, and that was more conviction than it wasn't like, if you, if you, if you, I think you have to start, if you have the mentality, like I want to create a unicorn, I want to create a decacorn like that will sustain you for some bits, but like when you're really struggling or when this, when the startup's not doing well, like, I don't know if that, that, w- that would not be enough conviction for, for myself. Right. Maybe for some it, it would be, but for me, it, it wouldn't have been. So there was something about, um, that a problem that I identified that just kind of really bothered me and, and inefficiency that I wanted to address. And that's what spurred, uh, my joining Peter, um, in, in like in, in, in the early days of Inverse. Love it. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Roger. Um, so where could our listeners find out more about you and Inverse online? So to find out anything about Inverse, I mean, you can just look us up, uh, Inverse, that's with an E like reimburse, but <laughs> uh, it is an actual old word. And we were so fortunate to be able to get that domain, uh, for pretty cheap. Um, that was all Peter. So, uh, kudos to him uh, on thinking of that word. I, I wasn't, I didn't, I didn't know that word, um, to find out about me. I mean, my emails just Roger at birth.com. You can reach out to me at any time. Um, you can also find me on Instagram, LinkedIn. I don't tweet really. Um, but yeah, they can find me on standard social media channels. Thank you, Roger. We will leave all of that in the show notes of this podcast. It was amazing hearing your story today. Thank you so much for being on our show. Thank you guys. Excellent questions. Of course. Thank you for being on the show, Roger. I mean, definitely appreciate everything you shared so far. And, you know, I hope our listeners find a lot of value. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the show. We would like to get to the top 10 on iTunes. So be sure to leave us a five-star review. We release an episode every single Wednesday, so stay tuned. Thank you guys so much.